0: non-digital services or services that are not accessible by some or not accessible on a a mobile device which is how we want to interact well they're either not going to get used or they're not going to be able to take advantage of new technology so we need to push forward on the modernization and digitization of these capabilities and that creates the opportunity for ai to come in and be um, a real important force in changing the way people interact with their government
1: today on the daily scoop podcast from the scoop news group brought to you by checkpoint analyzing the recent flurry of federal it policies and how those new policies play off of one another in the government's larger journey to modernize and transform it's thursday december 7th 2023 welcome to the daily scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders i'm the host of the daily scoop podcast billy mitchell Here's what's happening now. A longtime federal CIO is leaving the federal government to head for a CIO role at the county level. Department of Commerce CIO Andre Mendez announced this week that he is retiring from federal service at the end of the month after roughly 14 years in government. Mendez will take on a new role as CIO for Tarrant County, Texas, starting in January. His move comes after spending roughly four years as Commerce's CIO and in previous leadership roles at the International Trade Administration and the U.S. Agency for Global Media. Mendez has won multiple FedScoop50 awards and was a recipient of the Golden Gov Federal Executive of the Year Award in 2023. The Government Accountability Office will soon publish a report on certain federal agencies' progress with artificial intelligence use case inventories. That's according to Kevin Walsh, a director within the GAO Information Technology and Cybersecurity team that is conducting the report. The report will focus on the Chief Financial Officer Act agencies, not including the Department of Defense, as well as the Office of Management and Budget and the Office of Science and Technology Policy, and it's expected to be published next week. The coming report was initiated by GAO under the Comptroller General's authority as opposed to a congressional request. The comptroller general's authority is typically used for work on emerging issues, broad interest areas for Congress, and to respond to events of national or international significance, Walsh explained. And in other news, federal agencies are on a journey over the next decade plus to shore up their systems before the arrival of quantum computers. As part of that, the White House has set out annual requirements for agencies to identify and inventory their existing encryption systems in advance of replacing them with post-quantum cryptography. This week, Nick Polk, senior advisor to the federal CISO, speaking at GDIT's Emerge Quantum event, said that agencies have made great progress in this area despite a rough initial start. Polk explained that, quote, for the first time in history, the civilian government has a comprehensive inventory of its asymmetric cryptography across all the agencies and their critical systems. This, he said, will give agencies the foundation for the roadmap they need to migrate to new post-quantum systems. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. The Biden administration has issued a flurry of new IT mandates and policies in recent months, from the landmark AI executive order and guidance for agencies on responding to that, to new directives on digital experience and modernizing FedRAMP. While it may be a lot to digest for federal CIOs and other IT professionals, there's an obvious crossover among the mandates that makes their close timing seem like more of a feature than a bug. Joining me now to discuss that is Jonathan Album, federal CTO for ServiceNow and former CIO of the Department of Agriculture. Jonathan, welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Thanks for joining us. Always good to chat with you.
0: Thank you for having me. It's uh, great to be here.
1: Well, Jonathan, um, I think we have a a good conversation teed up today. You're a former federal CIO now in the private sector, and and you've you've, uh, been around this space for quite a while, and there's a, a bunch of new... Directives, policy, executive orders out in this space that um, all came out relatively within the same period of time. So I, I want to, you know, start by discussing it, and then we can maybe look to unravel the timing of all those at the end. But um, you know, those those policies are, you know, the AI executive order with the corresponding OMB guidance, the the new DX or digital service guidance that OMB came out with, and then there's some new FedRAMP guidance out there. But let's start with the AI order and the OMB. Uh, requirements that came out uh, shortly after, you know, as a uh, former federal CIO, what are the big takeaways from those new AI policies that you think stand out as important for uh, a federal IT practitioner?
0: Yeah. So I think everyone recognizes that AI, AI has real potential to change the way government works. And, um, you know, when you are a government um, chief information officer, and a government executive and a leader in an agency, you you also have to wrestle with this idea of how do we take these new technologies that could be you know really transformative, um, adopt them in a in a responsible way, and I think the the um, executive order is is really about fleshing out you know those responsibilities, and we want to improve government service. Uh, we and with the same time we need to manage the risks that you know I think are. Uh, everyone's talking about when it comes to AI. And and I think the, the, the headline is that we can do that. And the executive order is uh, certainly a way to get started on that process. You know, it's a pretty ambitious uh, timeline. And, you know, we have, I think, a lot of uh, work to do as a federal IT community to understand how we're going to manage risk There's a lot of um, opportunity to really dialogue on this, and you know I want to give a lot of credit to um, OMB and the administration for you know being very proactive in seeking industry feedback, and there's um, there's a tremendous conversation happening. So, you know we're we're working um, you know as again as this community to to do AI the right way to protect. the integrity of our agency missions, but at the same time really get the benefits of artificial intelligence really accelerate uh, the mission to deliver great things for for the people that we serve and to do it, you know, very, very quickly. But again, I'll come back to that word responsibly.
1: Another area that we've seen um, you know, really emphasize in this administration has been Uh, focus on digital services and improving citizen services, and again, we saw recent guidance come out within the last quarter, I'll say, Uh, uh, you know, guiding agencies to improve those largely in in line with the uh, 21st Century Integrated Digital Experience Act, the IDEA Act, and, um, you know, I know USDA was the agency you were CIO at, and that's a big customer service citizen service focused agency, you have a lot of customers that you worked with, but just looking back on that, why is it so important that this is a priority for the, this administration?
0: So, you know, I think that that's a, it's a great observation that it, it, it's a priority because, you know, it's part of the president's management agenda. There was the customer experience executive order earlier. And, you know, now this additional guidance, you know, when we combine all these three things together, the agencies really have, um, very clear approaches to making it easier for people to receive services, to self serve, to uh, get the help they need from from these agencies. If agencies are able to, you know, meet these requirements and implement um, technologies to make that experience simple, I think, you know, the the idea of, of services being simple. Um, and at the same time, they should feel seamless and of course they'll be secure, you know, that framework I've heard um, uh, Claire Martorana, Federal Chief Information Officer, talk about that and really aligns with the philosophy that I had when I was um, the CEO at the Department of Agriculture. If If it's too complicated to work with an agency, a person is going to probably not be able to take it, not have the opportunity to take advantage of the services that are that are there for them, and then you know the mission isn't being fulfilled in the in the best way possible. So, you know these these ideas of making it easy to interact are are really important. Those things build trust. Um, they also you know help you know through this process of modernization and changing the way uh, agency websites work and integrating. Uh, self-service capabilities. You know, people. You know, who interact with government begin to have experiences that are more similar to the experiences they have with the the leading brands that they that they know and that they trust and that they work with. And some of those, you know, the the those positive uh, experiences. You know, change the way people think about government, and recognize that government can do a lot of great things and can help them in their in their lives. And really, you know, we're continuing to build to build trust, and you know that has uh, benefits well beyond an individual uh, experience. I think it's just overall uh, really important for the way government functions.
1: And then you know. The the third area that we've seen guidance come out, and, and I guess the most recent one um, is, is this FedRAMP draft guidance, FedRAMP modernization draft guidance that looks to reform and modernize the cloud security authorization program. So, um, you know, uh, what do you think about what OMB is looking for? And, you know, as somebody who is now an industry and is providing those cloud services to some degree and, and looking to work with federal agencies and then somebody who's also been, again, in that role within government, you know, Does it look that, or is what it's trying to accomplish going to kind of take FedRAMP forward in the right direction?
0: Yeah, so I I think that's clearly the the intention. I was I was in government when FedRAMP you know stood up, and I think the vision was and still is that you know we want to increase cloud services while you know being very reflective and thoughtful about how administrative burden of doing the security assessments and Uh, security authorizations and the ongoing continuous monitoring um, gets done. So uh, agencies have technologies that are safe and secure and the data in the, in those applications uh, can be protected and we can have confidence around that. Again, I think it comes back to trust a little bit. So, you know, I think the, the, the memo, uh, you know, talks about a lot of opportunities for FedRamp. And, and again, just like I mentioned with the executive order on artificial intelligence, the administration is being very proactive and engaging um, in a dialogue with, with stakeholders. And I think that's a, a really positive sign for, you know, what the end result is, is of, of these uh, requirements will, will be. You know, some of the, some of the, you know, major points that I want to, um, you know, that I, that I hope get fleshed out through this process is the, you know, number of cloud services that are out there, you know, far outpaces the number of uh, authorized service cloud services by FedRAMP. So how do we increase the throughput for cloud services as they emerge? And we'll know we have we're going to have more emerging services. Just we think about artificial intelligence uh, capabilities coming online, or even customer experience. Uh, capabilities and companies that are that are uh, offering services. You know, if you can't get these services approved, th- you know, quickly, um, agencies may you know miss out on the opportunities that they bring to help drive the mission. So that's really, um, I think, an important part of this. I'm very curious about how automation um, can can become an important factor. I think that's going to be you know a key element of what the future looks like and how that automation works will, um, you know, will be something that I think a lot of people are, are commenting on. And, you know, I think, well, you know, one one final part here is the idea of reciprocity between different agencies and different, uh, the DOD and, and the civilian federal government. And, you know, when, when uh, technologies get approved in one place, well, what's the process for that approval, that authorization to be used elsewhere? I think the, the less complex that is, the more services will be available for for agencies and I think that's just generally um, a good thing when we have more capabilities and we know how to use them we're able to serve our customers better and that's you know at the heart of all three of these memos and and executive orders I believe
1: yeah and I mean just listening to you talk about you know whether it's FedRAMP or AI or or the the digital or citizen experience. It, it seems like they're all interrelated in some way, and I I almost wonder you know if the administration um, probably had had some some you know purpose in in dropping these all in a relatively short time, and you know how these might inter interplay with one another.
0: Yeah, I, I you know Billy again. I think that's a really good observation because you know, you, they rely on each other in so many ways. Um, if we don't have modernized services at agencies, it's very hard for those services to take advantage of artificial intelligence. You know, I think in in the, um, when the uh, guidance around digital experience was released, um, you know, the in the, in the related uh, blog post, Federal CIO mentioned, you know, very low percentages of um, forms that are, that are digital, and you know, so many places where there are very clear opportunities to, you know, make um, websites mobile friendly, and you know, there are a lot of websites that you can't use a, um, assistive technologies on, and you know, if you you have these um, non-digital services or services that are not accessible, you know, by by some or not accessible on on a mobile device, which is how we want to interact well, they're either not going to get used or they're not going to be able to take advantage of new technology. So we need to push forward on the modernization and digitization of these capabilities. And that creates the opportunity for AI to come in and be um, a real important force in changing the way people interact with their government. You know, uh, I think a great AI use case that uh, we can, you know, we can see tie into the executive order is around, Customer self-service, right? You know, if we have um, uh, people that want to seek information on a, on a program, or they need help with a program, and they're relying on a, a human to answer those questions for them, that can take a lot of time. That can that can be very uh, expensive. So, if we have uh, virtual agents that have um, real language capabilities, the kinds of language capabilities you see coming out of generative AI, generative AI technology. They can really answer questions and they can be um, a tremendous uh, asset to an agency in the way that agency serves its customers and that person who needs help from the agency can get be helped directly. That, that to me is a, you know, a great example of, of how uh, that AI capabilities and the digital capabilities come together and and of course it has to be secure um uh, i think i may have mentioned you know all these technologies that you know our ai generative ai capabilities that agencies want to use are going to have to make it through um, an authorization process and then a continuing monitor continuous monitoring process through through FedRAMP, and that um that can't slow down our progress we don't want it to certainly you know it can, you know this progress could be could be slowed if those those processes are too arduous, and you know the the goal of the FedRAMP memos is to simplify and streamline the the program based on how things have evolved. And you know, in just that one case, you can see all three of these initiatives coming together. And if they come together the right way, pe- the American people are going to be served really well, and agencies can be really innovative on on these technologies. So I think it's um it's a it's a really exciting time, and it's very um, you know useful to have these requirements. Together, because of that, those interrelationships I described.
1: And, and just in a quick follow-up, as we close out, you know, that to ensure the success. Obviously, this is a lot, and it may seem somewhat burdensome to a to a CIO who's dealing with you know all these changes. As once, how how does how should OMB look at this, um, and what should it do to make sure it's successful in the hands of a CIO once these policies are effective?
0: Well, of course, agencies need resources to. Uh, to meet these requirements. They need the funding. They need the, you know, human resources. They need the tech, the tech, those, those the people, those agencies need technical training. They have to be able to hire. So there are, you know, there's a whole workforce component that I think is really important, a budget component that we, that we need to dive into as a, as again, as a, as a federal IT community. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there is a, a bigger uh, idea that, you know, thread moves moves through these ideas. That is an important area for us to focus on. It, it's that idea of trust, and I've, I've mentioned the word trust a couple of times. I think, but if we focus on on this concept of of trust in government, and we look at these three initiatives together, and we think about how uh, they all support increasing trust in government, that gives um, you know CIOs maybe a new framework to think about how they prioritize their resources and how they go about, you know, doing these things. Um, Bill McDermott, the, the, the CEO of ServiceNow likes to say that trust is the ultimate human currency. And I I agree with that. And when you think about the way people um, don't trust the government in so many cases, I think things that we can do as uh, IT professionals to drive trust through positive, customer experiences through great experiences through uh, these touch points that government agencies have with people those things are are um, immeasurable in in rebuilding trust and, and you see that in the exec in the executive order and customer experience and in the recent digital uh, guidance you see it in uh, the executive order on artificial intelligence so much of it is about creating trustworthy, artificial intelligence capabilities for agencies. And of course, the whole concept of FedRAMP is to create a marketplace of cloud services that are trusted by agencies and that people who interact with agencies can feel, uh, can can trust that th- their data is going to be secure in the cloud. So the overall overarching theme of trust is is one that's so critical and one that I would be uh, as a, as an agency CIO out there talking about in terms of these requirements and how they drive a, a more trustworthy government and you know rebuild trust in government, which I think is absolutely crucial to to our country.
1: Yeah, I I hadn't really thought about that way, but when you say it, uh, trust is that central element I think that ties them all together. So that's a really powerful uh, message. But um, Jonathan, fantastic as always chatting with you. Thanks for sharing, and hope we can do it again soon.
0: Thank you so much, Billy. It was a pleasure to be
1: here. You can learn more about federal IT policy at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Now for this next segment, I'll pass it over to my colleague Wyatt Cash for an interview with our sponsoring partner, Checkpoint.
2: Today, every organization is confronting questions about how AI will apply to their operations, their employees, and their customers. Whether it means a significant pivot in their operating models or an opportunity to scale and broaden their offerings, all organizations must assess their readiness to deploy AI responsibly without perpetuating harm to their stakeholders and the world. I'm Wyatt Cash with Scoop News Group, and here to share her insights on what steps agencies should consider in realizing AI's benefits is Cindy Carter, Global Chief Information Security Officer at Checkpoint Software Technology. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure having you.
3: Wyatt, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Well, terrific. Well, let's start uh, by asking, from your perspective as a chief information security officer, what are the top challenges and opportunities that you see uh, organizations that, that they need to tackle?
3: So, Wyatt, I I feel that there's there. It's a very long list, right? I, we could spend all day just just talking about these challenges. Um, but, but one of the things that I, I do like to think about that's especially top of mind as we're wrapping down this calendar year, and organizations are looking at, okay, what's next? Um, you know, how do we how do we future proof our organizations? Which I don't really know if that term is uh, is usable anymore, right? Because how can you proof yourself against the future? But I, I do think that some of the the cybersecurity challenges that our organizations face today are in some ways very similar to ones that they faced even 10 years ago. Um, first and foremost, technology changes at an extremely rapid pace and, and even faster today than it did five months ago, five years ago, right? Um, you know, think about think about how all the new technology that that has evolved just even over the last couple of years and and how to keep up with it. So how does the IT organization keep up with it from uh, operational support aspect? And then how does the cybersecurity team come in here to wrap cybersecurity around it? So a lot of those challenges come into play when uh, it it comes to ensuring that we are implementing security, security practices and also still enabling usability and productivity for the organization. So I feel like that's like a challenge number one. It's sort of a dichotomy right? in in this industry with cybersecurity, and it, it doesn't matter what type of organization you're in, whether it's financial, healthcare services, telecom services, we have a lot of data that we amass in these companies. And our consumers of that data and, and our customers, if you will, expect us to keep that data private, yet share it with certain folks, right? So here's an example. Um, if you've ever used something like Netflix or something like Spotify, you enter your information into the kinds of choices of movies that you would want to watch or music that you would like to listen to. And that's your data. And then what happens? It makes suggestions based on all of the data that's amassed with folks whose choices are similar to yours. And so We'd like to have that part of our information shared because getting some of those recommendations is kind of cool, right? Makes our choices easier, makes you feel like you're part of a community. But then at the end of the day, if that data gets compromised or ends up in the wrong hands, well, then there's that feeling of, oh, that that wasn't such a great idea. So I think just that sheer technological awareness of the the data that we're amassing and how to wrap cybersecurity around it is is a challenge. The second thing I will say from a cybersecurity practitioner perspective is, and, and this this goes with really anybody in technology, um, it is it is difficult to to keep people on your teams. Um, there are organizations that you know, may have that grass is greener perspective to your employee, or if your organization is cutting back on raises that year and maybe offering stock options instead, Um, you know, employees now because the tech industry is, is, is just booming. They have a lot of freedom of where they choose to work now. So keeping your, your workforce and keeping your talent in house and helping them grow their careers and, and find a, a, a path that that not only that they're good at, but that also gives them joy is going to keep them at, at your company, that is sec- a, a second challenge. And then the third part of it, of course, is, we'll talk about it because it's end of year, is that, that financial aspect or that budgetary aspect. And I was just having this conversation earlier today about the fact that if, if an organization or if a chief information security officer who leads security gets an increase in their cybersecurity budget, well, they still have to go and procure certain solutions, technologies, capabilities, hire people, um, and those costs have gone up incrementally as well. So your budget tends to stay flat, if you will. So even if you received an increase in that budget, it's not going to get you that much further because the things that you have to, to purchase and procure have also gone up as well. It's that cost of inflation, right? So I think some of those things, and I just mentioned those top three things, are challenges that are top of mind for cybersecurity and organizational leaders in general. So, and we can we can unpack that a little bit more when it comes to some of the artificial intelligence that I know we're we're gonna get into.
2: Well, that's a great segue to the next question. Uh, talk about some of the specific measures that agencies and organizations can implement to ensure that AI technologies are developed and used uh, ethically as well as securely within their organizations.
3: Absolutely. Um, The one thing I I do like to say is, and and this is actually coming directly from uh, a keynote that I just did, you you have to understand is with any new capability, and by the way, artificial intelligence isn't new, and we can go into some of that if you would like, Um, but you have to understand the, the risks and the rewards, as well as sort of your relationship with that technology and first and foremost, the one thing that I that I encourage organizations to ask is, is the why. Start with why. So if anybody here, and hopefully I can name drop this, um, understands or has heard of Simon Sinek, and he has a book that actually is titled Start With Why. And it is helping you to understand, you know, why is this new technology important to our business? Why do we... Why do we feel that this new capability will help our organization? And then let's unpacked, um, unpack rather the, the what part of it. So the context matters. Um, you need to be asking questions in your organization in order for this to be successful. And by the way, this can go with artificial intelligence or really any other type of uh, capability that you're looking to implement. But you ask, what is the intended usage of this technology for a certain business case because certain business units within your organization or certain business cases may not benefit from the same technologies so what is the intended usage of it let's make sure that we understand what problem are we trying to solve and how will this new capability add value and then from some of those those measures that you talked about as far as making sure that that we're that we're being mindful as far as the data privacy side of it, that we're being mindful of the security side of things. Um, you know, right now there's there's not a lot of regulation out there around our, our use of artificial intelligence yet. Now, as you as you probably know, especially in the federal space, there is uh, the AI Disclosure Act of 2023 that U.S. Representative Richie Torres introduced into legislation, and that requires that artificial technology has a disclaimer about it, Um, basically to the effect of a disclaimer that states this output has been generated by artificial intelligence. And that applies across the board to videos, photos, text, audio, or any other type of AI generated material. And so you want to help your organization, um, especially from a legal and a privacy perspective, implement the types of of policies and governance within your organization to make sure that we can uphold that. Um, because there's also that, that E word, which is the ethical use of that data and the ethical use of the, the data that we're inputting into an AI learning model, as well as what will we be doing with that output.
2: Well, and then can you highlight some specific measures and frameworks um, that federal organizations uh, should keep in mind to implement to ensure that the ethical and secure use of AI is taking place in their operations, particularly uh, for security measures?
3: Oh, yes, absolutely. There's, it's, it's good to have frameworks because that does help you create a, more of a holistic strategy and when I was talking earlier about uh, what problem are we trying to solve, or what is the intended use for this business case, these type of frameworks will help answer some of those questions. Um, NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, has implemented a risk—I'm um, sorry—an AI risk management framework. It's relatively new. Um, it is still uh, open for for comment, open for input, open for um, making it. Making it better and more robust, um, but it does provide, if you will, that that aspect of a framework, and as I mentioned, s- somewhat of a a holistic strategy around those types of things. It incorporates the, the the data and the kind of input that you'll have into your AI model, and then it takes a look at you know what what will those actions uh, look like as far as the tasks that will be performed and the output from it. Um, what will those those types of integrations look like with the the AI model? And then finally, you know what is that application context? So I mentioned earlier some of those those apps that that we may use ourselves on the um, entertainment platforms. Um, that application context is is super important because not only do you have to plan and design how, um that business case it revolves around that application but also how are you going to do the the care and feeding of it the operational aspects of it the monitoring of it the support of it so that's sort of that cyclical um aspect to that framework and then of course you know it it, it right there in the middle of it all is the the people and basically the planet right who is who is going to be Um, using this or who's going to be the most impacted by this new capability or new technology. So these frameworks are super important to make sure that before we go head dive right into uh, a new technology, a new capability, let's step back for a moment and, and have that fruitful discussion around what does this really mean to our organization? How will this business unit or how will this business case benefit from this capability? And, and how can we ensure um, the intended use?
2: Absolutely. Well, next I'd like to ask, how should agencies think about concentrating on maximizing the benefits of AI while still minimizing the associated risks?
3: Sure. Well, and in, in right now, you know, agencies just like organizations are, are leveraging AI for a, a, a wide variety of different use cases. Um, from from a pure cybersecurity perspective, organizations use AI. Um, especially, I know I, I talk to a lot of chief information security officers and leaders, where AI is helping them um, with, with some of those operational aspects to their security operations center. Uh, when you when you think about um, if you've ever seen a, a photo of like a network operations center and there's just a room full of people and screens all around and they're they're staring at screens they're looking at screens they're 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 watching the monitors and and there may be several different types some of those tasks that those analysts perform can get can get very um repetitive and very sort of mind numbing maybe not as challenging um and so ai can be leveraged to to help with automating some of that mind numbing type uh repetitive task work and then that frees those those people's minds up for some of the things that we really need those critical cognitive thinking skills upon, and agencies are using that in the same way. Um, they have used it for transportation, um, the Environmental Protection Agency, um, you know, benefits delivery, um, healthcare is leveraging AI as well as you can imagine. You know, the 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 amassed data, um, especially around telehealth, that has really become popular in the last couple of years, uh, post-pandemic and even during the pandemic, of course. Um, but you also have to have those strong guardrails in place to make sure that that AI is keeping people safe. It doesn't violate their rights. Um, there's even some new roles that are being introduced, um, which is a CTO role, and it doesn't stand for chief technology officer. It actually stands for chief trust officer. And those chief trust officer roles are at the helm of ensuring the, um, the ethical and the, the legal and the, um, some of those, those regulatory aspects, if you will, some of those governing aspects of using AI in your organization.
2: And then lastly, Cindy, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. Um, can you point to some examples of how Checkpoint solutions are kind of factoring into benefiting government organizations? And um, again, how from a security standpoint, um, Checkpoint uh, solutions are uh, facilitating more secure use of AI?
3: Absolutely. Checkpoint is founded upon um, The principle of you deserve the best security. We're not talking about good. We're not talking about better. We're talking about best. And Checkpoint has been in this business for 30 years. Um, Checkpoint lives, eats, and breeds, making sure that the world is a safer place. That is woven through our DNA. It's woven through our culture. And one of the platforms that is behind every single one of our products, whether it's our Quantum firewalls, whether it's our product called Cloud Guard for cloud security measures, or even Harmony, which is our email and collaboration and endpoint platform, it's backed by something called Threat Cloud. And Threat Cloud, believe it or not, we've been using AI long before it was cool. So Checkpoints Threat Cloud AI makes 2 billion, yes, you heard that right, with a B, security decisions daily. It has been built on one of the largest big data threat intelligence platforms that are out there. Um, It's got 73 million full content emails, 30 million file emulations. Um, It's it's just uh, the amount of data that has been amassed on this, um, 40 plus engines that are packed behind this threat cloud platform with AI based features and capabilities. And as I mentioned earlier, Every single one of Checkpoint's products is backed by this threat cloud. So this isn't something that, that our federal agencies have to pay extra for when they have Checkpoint products. It's something that comes with. So in conclusion, Wyatt, um, there is a lot of information out there about artificial intelligence and there can be some reluctance. And then there's also a lot of excitement about what, what this capability, what this technology and and what it means for organizations, as well as our own households go. Um, so, so here's a thought that I have around that. Um, you know, change makes you vulnerable when you think about it, even change for the better. So when organizations pursue a strategy that connect these innovative capabilities, innovative security solutions um, to business enablement, meaning solving those problems, asking that intended use of that business case. That is going to involve an element of risk, but not as much risk as failing to take action. And the final example that I have on that is thinking about those brick and mortar stores that we used to have where we would go and rent a video for the weekend or the week or pay our delinquent late fees. But now we have those online platforms that we do, and those are the types of organizations that have embraced these types of new technologies and these new capabilities to offer those solutions to organizations, and they have, they have taken the action in order to grow their business, grow their market share, improve their operating model, retain their employees, provide a better customer experience.
2: Absolutely, well, Cindy Carter, thank you so much for um, stopping by here and sharing some of your insights on um, the ways of looking at the development of AI for federal agencies and how to t- take more pragmatic and more secure approaches for government agencies. So thank you so much for joining us.
3: Well, thank you so much for having me, Wyatt. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.